Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to our Relic Reveal, a pilgrimage through the great saints that are going to be on display for our reverence at the Our Lady of the Angels Chapel. We're going to have so many beautiful relics on display that it, our church is going to become a place of pilgrimage and veneration and devotion for Catholics all over the place. And I am so excited to announce to you today's saint, St. Teresa of Avila. St. Teresa of Avila was born in 1515, died in around 15, what, like 82 or something? Let me see. I got it right here. Yeah, she died in 1582. And this is important. Jay's laughing at me. But she died in October. Her feast day is when, Jay? October 15th. October 15th. We are celebrating her feast day this week. Teresa of Avila is one of two women with, I believe, St. Catherine of Siena named Doctor of the Church. And she is a doctor of interior life or mental prayer. Her writings, The Interior Castle, one of the most amazing books on Christian prayer ever written. I read this book when I was like 15 years old, understood three words. Then I studied it in college and graduate school, changed my life. I love Teresa of Avila. Now you might not know her story. She's also the patronage uh, or the patron of lost parents because her mother died when she was 14. Her father died when she was a little bit older, but she was, uh, she was a very pious young girl and had a, uh, and she was moved by these stories of the lives of the saints. It filled her with love of Jesus and a great personal devotion. But then as happens with many teenagers, uh, the teenage lifestyle began taking hold. She began caring more in her own words about flirting with boys and things like that than she did actually about pursuing Christ like she did in her younger years. So her father sent her to be educated in a convent with a bunch of Augustinian nuns. And it was here that she would get her first true taste of what does religious life look like. When she was about 20, 21 years old, she had to make a decision. Do I want to pursue marriage or do I want to pursue the religious life? Eventually she would choose to pursue the religious life and entering a convent of the Carmelites, uh, she would undergo one of the worst struggles of her life that she never really fully recovered from. She had a bout with malaria. She has these series of visions and experiences while she's recovering from this horrific disease. And she engages in a profound depth of mental prayer. And it is at that time that we have the famous image of Teresa of Avila, a young nun, being stabbed in the heart with a golden spear or arrow. Uh, if you go to Rome, there's the beautiful statue. I think, Jay, do you know, it's, it's, it's by Bernini, right? It's by Bernini? Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, sure, we'll go with Bernini. That sounds Italian. And uh, <laughs> she has this beautiful image, right? Or this beautiful image of St. Peter's of her heart being pierced through. And, you know, it, it's this moment of both pain and ecstasy all woven into one. Well, here's the crazy thing about that Carmelite monastery. Uh, you know, back in those times, there weren't a lot of options for women. They, you know, they couldn't be entrepreneurs and whatnot. So the idea was, if you don't get married, you become a spinster at home, an unwed uh, woman who lives with her parents forever um, and who do, does family chores like spinning, and spinster. Or you entered a convent. Many Catholic women who didn't feel like they had a vocation to the religious life would still enter a convent because it was better than living at home. And let me tell you what, they were living it up. They were having not wild parties per se, but they were having such frequent visitors that they weren't really taking their vows seriously. And in fact, she would say that my father's house was more strict than this religious order. So it began to bum her out and she began to become very, very worldly. Well, as time would progress, she would encounter a series of visions with our Lord that she began to pursue and would eventually reform the Carmelite order in what's now known as the Discalced 
Carmelites or shoeless Carmelites. They would go about their days shoeless, and that was a sign of their utter humility and poverty before God. She would eventually partner with a guy named John of the Cross, about 20 years younger than her, and they would travel around and reform the Carmelite order, setting up over 30 monasteries and convents with this new rule that was given approval by the Pope. But man, this woman was attacked like crazy by her own religious order, by her own order. They came at her savagely. They would be like, oh, what is this woman doing walking around? What was the phrase? Like a what, Jay? She was, uh, let's see, the papal nuncio called her a restless, disobedient gadabout who has gone about teaching as though she were a professor. A gadabout, right. At this time, women didn't even have professorships. So here she was preaching and teaching and getting all these people to reform the Carmelite order and join her movement. It was powerful. It was intense. But it was at this time that she clung ever closer to Jesus. Jesus referred to her uh, sufferings by saying, this is how I treat my friends. And she responded to Jesus, this is why you have so few, right? So in her heart of hearts, she thought, well, if Jesus has so few friends, we might as well all be really good friends to Jesus. She would die uh, having successfully begun the reform of the Carmelite order. She was canonized and then made a doctor of the church, one of two women that have that status. And she is an immense figurehead in the life of the church, an important figure, so much so that you can find tons of her writings in the fourth part of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. I recommend you to sit down with her book, Interior Castle or The Way of Perfection, but in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, and this is where we apply her life to our life, we need to understand the absolute importance of mental prayer. So many Catholics don't have a rich life of prayer. You might have, let's break this out, you have vocal prayer, meditative prayer, and then contemplative prayer. What's the difference? Well, vocal prayer is done, my actions done in union with God, right? Moved by grace, but it's principally me as the one doing the work, right? So when I pray the rosary, when I pray the liturgy of the hours, when I'm at mass with my responses, when I'm calling out to God, when I'm journaling, these are all forms of vocal prayer. But then you have the next step, which is called meditative prayer. And I would encourage you just to read the four or five paragraphs in the catechism on how to have meditative prayer. See, Roman Catholics, we are not, and this is not meant to be offensive, it's just true, Buddhists. When we turn in meditation, it is not to empty our minds to see the void that we are, right? But rather, we are called to actively engage our intellect, our will, our imagination, our memories, to compose ourselves, right? Like if we're studying scripture, to compose the scene. St. Ignatius of Loyola would call this the composition of place, to put ourselves in the biblical story so we can saturate ourselves in the words. Meditation is taking the word, and it could be from sacred scripture, which is the most profitable, but also spiritual writings, the spiritual fathers, different groups uh, of teachings, the catechism even, and to draw and take it into our own lives, to read the book of our lives in union with these great spiritual works. Meditative prayer is an absolute must for Catholics, the most famous being things like Lectio Divina, where you slowly read a few verses uh, of scripture and then take it in and apply it to your life. But meditative prayer kind of belongs under vocal prayer as it is still part of my activity. I'm engaging my imagination. I'm engaging my memory. I'm engaging my will and you know my intellect and all this stuff. The next step though, to a soul who is diligently pursuing Jesus is where we go from active to receptive, not passive, but receptive. 
And what happens is God begins to infuse truth into our souls. This is what we call, properly speaking, either mental prayer or contemplative prayer. Prayer. Contemplative prayer is not something I do, but rather something that God does to me and through me. So the gift of contemplative prayer is the beginning of what we call the mystical life of the church, right? So you and I are all called to be mystics. How do we get to this level? Well, number one, it's a gift. So don't ever lose sight of that. But number two, are you cultivating two things in your life in order to achieve or reach this stage? That is, are you getting rid of sin, especially mortal sin, habitual venial sin, the sins that you commit over and over? Are you actively trying to uproot that out of your life? St. Teresa of Avila would tell us that one cannot progress in prayer, which is union with Jesus. You can't progress in that if you're still choosing the opposite of Jesus, namely sin, especially mortal sin. Some of us might be addicts to certain types of sin. We got to get counseling as well as spiritual direction, as well as a regular confession, as well as accountability partners and all this stuff to uproot sin. But also we need to have diligence in prayer. One doesn't stumble into prayer. That's like the noob beginning stages of prayer where, oh, I guess I'm going to pray now or, oh, everything's falling apart. I got to pray. No, 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 no. One does not add God on to the end of a day. God is not to be tacked on. The soul that pursues Christ makes time for Christ. To carve out time that is consistent, regular. You show up whether you want to be there or not, and you be present with the God who knows and loves you. Over time, when you're uprooting sin and flooding your life with grace, right? what happens is God will ultimately extend to you the brilliant and beautiful gift of infused contemplation. St. Teresa of Avila is a doctor of the church because her book, Interior Castle and the Way of Perfection and her other writings help to steer us and navigate us through the ambiguities of mysticism and theology and the spiritual life and contemplation so that you can understand, yes, Lord, I am here for you and with you and I want all that you have to give. You might as well have to pass through a dark night of the soul that her student John of the Cross would talk about, and it will be painful. This is a process of purification as much as it is a perfection. But as St. Teresa of Avila has proved, it is possible for God to so unite himself to a soul that even the pains of our spiritual journey become ecstasies when united to the crucified love of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, join me next week as we continue our pilgrimage down this relic reveal, as we let the lives of the saints continue to catechize and evangelize our hearts to call us ever deeper into pursuing Jesus Christ, the leader and the perfecter of our faith. May God bless you, and I'll see you next week. St. Teresa of Avila, pray for us! Mm -hmm.